Let's turn in our Bibles to 1 Kings chapter 22. 1 Kings chapter 22. And if you brought your phone or other electronic device, be sure it's silenced, if you would. I love our wonderful sound system. It's so sensitive. The only problem is whenever I sniff, it sounds like a jet airplane is about to crash into the building. So... There's always a downside, isn't there? First Kings chapter 22. Last week we finished verse 38. What a sad ending last week. Micaiah, God's prophet, who was obedient unto imprisonment, was left to die in that prison. He was eating the bread of affliction, drinking the water of affliction, and then Ahab. The king of Israel died as a coward, trying to hide himself from the enemy and put Jehoshaphat out there as a target, supposing the Syrians would think he was the king of Israel. But poor Ahab, he didn't realize there was an arrow predestined for the joint of his harness. And although the Bible tells us it was a certain man who drew a bow at a venture and shot that arrow, to man it would seem like a random arrow, but it was not. It was important as we studied that he die in his chariot so the blood could be washed out of that chariot and the dogs could lick it up in the place where he took Naboth's vineyard from him. So I encourage you, if you weren't here or didn't get to watch, the lesson last week that you go back and do that. The vulnerable place in Ahab's armor ought to remind us of how useless man's armor is against the arrows of the Lord. Our armor is useless. Our own armor is useless against the arrows of the devil. That's why we have to take the shield of faith and have the armor of God according to Ephesians chapter 6, and only then can we withstand those arrows. God's prophet Micaiah foretold of Ahab's death. And now we're going to read in verse 39 the eulogy. And I believe Ahab's eulogy actually started when he was introduced to us as king because God said he was more wicked than any that came before him. And now this would be the last chapter of his eulogy. Verse 39, Now the rest of the acts of Ahab and all that he did and the ivory house which he made and all the cities that he built, are they not written in the book of the chronicles of the kings of Israel? How many of you are as morbid as I and read obituaries every day? Thank you, Alice. Yes. Now, one of the reasons I read them, and I read them not just in Rockwall, but I'll read the ones from places where I've lived, is that that's the only way I find out some of my friends have died. There's some people I've worked with. And what I see when I read those obituaries, not necessarily just the people I know, but usually strangers, that some of them are really long, and you pay by the word. (laughs) That can be expensive. 
and they set forth all of the funny things and the cool things and the popular things, all of the achievements and awards and trophies the person had. And what I've found is that the longer those are, the less they're about God, the more they're about man. It's not always true, but it usually is. And so when we read verse 39 about Ahab, what's one thing that's missing? What's the elephant in the room? Nothing that says he walked according to the ways of the Lord, according to the ways of his father David. No, it talks about everything he did because that's all he had when he went to the grave and he didn't get to take a sliver of it with him. An ivory house, although we don't read specifically about this ivory house being built, 80 to 90 years after Ahab, there came a prophet named Amos, and we do have a record from Amos in the book of Amos. In fact, from chapter 3 of Amos, we get some information about ivory houses, and so I think we would do well to be instructed. One of these days, I'm going to get in the good habit of sending Brother Rick all of my scriptures ahead of time and letting him put that on the screen for the viewers. I'm sorry I didn't get that done this time. But from Amos chapter 3, we'll read some information about the ivory houses, and maybe you'll notice some similarities between Ahab's evil deeds and the ones mentioned in Amos. Amos chapter 3, verses 1 through 2 says, Hear this word that the Lord has spoken against you, O children of Israel, against the whole family which I brought up from the land of Egypt, saying, You only have I known of all the families of the earth. Therefore, I will punish you for all your iniquities. Skipping down to verses 9 through 12 in that same chapter. Publish in the palaces at Ashdod and in the palaces in the land of Egypt. And say, assemble yourselves upon the mountains of Samaria. Now that's where we're talking about. That's where Ahab was king. And behold the great tumults in the midst thereof, and the oppressed in the midst thereof. For they know not to do right, saith the Lord, who store up violence and robbery in their palaces. What was it Ahab did when he took Naboth's vineyard? Violence and robbery. Therefore, thus saith the Lord God, an adversary there shall be even round about the land, and he shall bring down thy strength from thee, and thy palaces shall be spoiled. Thus saith the Lord, as the shepherd taketh out of the mouth of the lion two legs, or a piece of an ear, so shall the children of Israel be taken out that dwell in Samaria, in the corner of a bed, and in Damascus in a couch. And then I'll read one more verse from Amos 3, and that's verse 15. God says, And I will smite the winter house with the summer house, and the houses of ivory shall perish. And the great houses shall have an end, saith the Lord. So all of these great, finely built houses, including the house of ivory, Ahab built will one day crumble. 
And this is a fulfillment given by the Lord in Psalm chapter 127 and verse 1. If you want to write that down, this was a psalm written specifically for Solomon. Psalm 127 verse 1, except the Lord build the house, they labor in vain that build it. Except the Lord keep the city, the watchman waketh, but be brought down. What is ironic is that the first time we see ivory mentioned in the Bible is in 1 Kings chapter 10 verse 18 when Solomon was on the throne. And you remember all of the great things built during Solomon's day from the temple to the palace to his house to all of the furnishings we went we spent a considerable amount of time looking at the construction of all of these things and they all pointed to the Lord and Solomon prayed that prayer and said Lord what I want is for you to give me wisdom and understanding that I may judge this so great a people and now we have all of that gold and ivory and all of the things that Ahab used to build the great city and to build the the, the house, the ivory house he made, all of that is going to crumble. Now look in verse 40 in our text in 1 Kings 22, if you're just joining us. So Ahab slept with his fathers, and Ahaziah, his son, reigned in his stead. Just like the great ivory house came down, so did the life of Ahab. All of the cities which he had built could not save him, and he couldn't take them with him. I want you to notice the difference between Ahab and Abraham as Abraham is described in Hebrews chapter 11, verses 8 through 10. Think about what you just learned about Ahab and listen to what is said about Abraham. Hebrews 11, verses 8 through 10. By faith Abraham, when he was called to go out into a place which he should after receive for an inheritance, obeyed. And he went out, not knowing whither he went. By faith he sojourned in the land of promise as in a strange country, dwelling in tabernacles, those are tents, with Isaac and Jacob, the heirs with him of the same promise. For he looked for a city which hath foundations, whose builder and maker is God. So using this passage, we might rightly conclude that if this were to be written of Ahab, it would say by sight he lived in the land of promise, dwelling in ivory houses and great palaces, and he made cities whose builder and maker was Ahab. Verse 41, and Jehoshaphat, the son of Asa, began to reign over Judah in the fourth year of Ahab, king of Israel. Jehoshaphat was 30 and five years old when he began to reign, and he reigned 20 and five years in Jerusalem, and his mother's name was Azuba, the daughter of Shelih. And he walked in all the ways of Asa his father, 
he turned not aside from doing it, doing that which was right in the eyes of the Lord. Nevertheless, the high places were not taken away, for the people offered and burnt incense yet in the high places. A short friendship with Ahab became a close call for Jehoshaphat. He joined Ahab in a war against which God's prophet had spoken. Let's look at that. Ahab wasn't interested in what a prophet of the Lord would say. Do you remember? He intentionally did not call Micaiah or Micaiah. He called his 400 and let Zedekiah, the false prophet, speak on their behalf. In fact, not only did Ahab not call Micaiah, he despised him. He had already said he despised him. He said, I hate that man, for he doth not prophesy good concerning me, only evil. And on the other hand, if you'll recall, Jehoshaphat, after hearing Zedekiah and after hearing all of the amens from what Zedekiah prophesied, Jehoshaphat insisted that the Lord's prophet inquire of the Lord. Is there not yet a man beside that we may inquire of the Lord of him? And yet after all of that, both kings went to battle in disobedience to the Lord's command. Jehoshaphat should have told Ahab, I'm not going. I don't care what all these prophets say, and I don't care who it makes angry. I'm not going because the Lord's prophet said, this is not a good decision. You'll have to fight without me, and you'll have to fight without my, sh- my soldiers. But Jehoshaphat had holes in his spiritual armor too. He was like many voters and many church members even. He knew what was right. But he was weak in some areas, so he just followed along. When one of my daughters was in junior high, she played some sports, and we got to know some of the other parents, and we'd go to the games and so forth. And I knew a Christian family who had a, a daughter who was on the school volleyball team. And the players took a vote on what kind of uniforms they wanted to wear. Of course, you've, if you've ever seen women's volleyball, they wear some of the nastiest. I can't even watch it. It's ridiculous. Now, the men don't wear that, and they seem to jump just as high and dive just as hard on the floor, but they put the little girls in that. They do it in gymnastics too. And so the players took a vote on what kind of uniform they would wear, specifically whether to wear decent shorts or that, underwear. Well, she got outvoted, and she gave in and went along. And I don't blame her as much as I blame her parents. Because her parents should have said, Coach, if she's going to have to wear that, she's not going to play. There's no reason you can't let her wear a decent pair of shorts, same colors, and play on this team. They should have stood up. And they were good people. I love those people. But they gave in. They did just like Jehoshaphat. They said, Well, we don't like it. But we're going we're gonna to go ahead and let her play and wear what the other girls are wearing. And that poor little girl was uncomfortable with all that. 
And you know, the parents just went with a crowd, and a lot of people in positions of authority do this. You know what makes me sick is when I hear a congressman say, I'm going to vote for it, but I'm going to tell you, I don't like it. You ever heard that? Well, they pander to both sides, don't they? I went ahead and voted, but I'm going to tell you, my vote has a lot of reservations. Listen, you either vote yay or nay. There are only two buttons to press, yay or nay, or abstain, which means you don't have the guts to take a position. I don't like that either. I didn't vote for a representative or a senator to go down there and say, I don't want to vote. (laughs) I want him to say yay to the right stuff and nay to the wrong stuff. Poor Jehoshaphat. And let me tell you, parents and leaders, when you do this, or if you do this, you're showing those under your authority what you really think about God and your Christian principles. You're showing that you're willing to set them aside just sometimes, just to get along with the crowd, just to keep from making any waves. Let me tell you, I'm sure all of us at some point have been guilty of that. And we look back and say... I wish I'd have said no. And Jehoshaphat's army must have known that he caved in. Perhaps some of them were there with him when he heard God's prophets say, don't do it. And they thought, well, Jehoshaphat's not going. We're not going to war. And Jehoshaphat said, let's go, guys. Let's, let's don't leave Ahab behind. They must have heard Micaiah say, don't go. And now we'll see where else Jehoshaphat was weak in the faith. And doing this is not to look down our noses at Jehoshaphat. It's to learn about us. Because Christians have holes in their armor. We have weak spots. And if you think you don't, that's a huge hole in your armor that you think you don't. Look back in the text there in verse 43, in the middle of the verse. After having said that Jehoshaphat did that which was right in the eyes of the Lord, it said, nevertheless, the high places were not taken away, for the people offered and burnt incense yet in the high places. That is, Jehoshaphat did right in the eyes of the Lord, but... He let the people do wrong in the eyes of the Lord. And because he was in a position of authority to be able to stop that, he is responsible for what they did just like they are. Again, he went with the flow. The phrase, for the people, offered, tells the story. He just let the people do what they wanted. They were already doing it. After all, he couldn't just come in and make a bunch of changes, could he? He might be an unpopular leader. We learned before that he was a people pleaser. He loved God, but he was also a people pleaser. Now, I don't especially like to make people mad. I like for people to be generally pleased, but if they're not, and it's because, and if it's because I've made a stand of righteousness for something, then that's okay. I don't intend to, to make them mad, but I'm certainly Uh, By the grace of God, wanting to please God more than I please man. Perhaps Jehoshaphat justified his actions inwardly by saying, Well, I, I took care of my business. I just didn't interfere with the business of others. 
And that won't work when you're the king. It won't work when you're a dad or mom, when you run your company. It won't work if you're a pastor. It won't work if you're the chief of police. Whatever your job is in any position of authority, think about this. It's kind of like saying, well, my, my wife and I go to church, but our little boy doesn't like to go, so we just let him stay home. That's nonsense. I hate using these old cliches, but that's the only drug problem he should ever have is getting drugged to church every Sunday and Wednesday. And, of course, our prayer is that he'll hear the gospel and be saved and say, Oh, Daddy, do we get to go to church today? Mom, are we going to go sing about the Lord today? That's what we want. And that's God's perfect will. The more authority you have, the more responsibility you have. And Jehoshaphat is no exception. The king of Judah. Verse 44 And Jehoshaphat made peace with the king of Israel. Jehoshaphat was a peacemaker, which is a wonderful quality. He seemed to me to be one who loved God and had the strong desire to please people. I think the scriptures have borne that out. Remember, Israel and Judah were originally one. They were one people, and we've talked about that before in prior studies. They were one first in the mind of God before he ever created them because he knows all things from the beginning. They were one in the loins of their father Jacob, then as a nation and also as a type of the church, which is one body in Christ. And we might learn from this that although Judah tries to make peace with Israel from time to time, this is not the only place, That peace is not a lasting peace. It can't be. Because only when peace is made through the Lord Jesus Christ will mankind have peace with each other. You can have all the peace movements you want. If they're not centered around the Lord Jesus Christ, we don't have peace. In fact, what we don't do, what we can't do is say, well, I'm going to make, I'm going to make peace here with Brother Richard. And then when I make peace with him, then we'll make peace with Christ. That's backwards. If he's made his peace with Christ by trusting in what he did, and I've made peace, he and I have the bond of peace already, even if we don't know each other. That's why it's so wonderful to see these people from across the world whose hands we may never shake, who we may never see in person, who share that bond of peace with us. But Jehoshaphat and Ahab's peace treaty has some holes in it. It's carnal. It's self-serving and short-lived. And I said Ahab, I meant Israel, because Ahab is dead. Here's a wonderful example. If you ever hear me quote something outside of the Bible, chances are it's from Charlie Brown. So that'll give you a head start on figuring out. I love Charlie Brown, the old school, not the new stuff. Lucy keeps pulling the football away from Charlie Brown, doesn't she? Every time he tries to kick it. And I think it was the Thanksgiving, Charlie Brown, she said, here, I have a contract. And so he said, oh, if it's a contract, I'm paraphrasing, then uh, I guess it's good. So he runs to kick that football, and what did she do? She pulled it out again. And she said, funny thing, it wasn't notarized. Now, that's what people do to each other. Some of y'all need to watch Charlie Brown. But you know, God never pulls the football away. 
if I might use that crude illustration, his word is his bond. His word is his covenant. Whatever he says is what he goes by. And another thing about this peace treaty between Judah and Israel is that it's not one God approved of, as we're going to see in later verses. Verse 45, Now the rest of the acts of Jehoshaphat and his mighty and his might that he showed, and how he warred, are they not written in the book of the Chronicles of the Kings of Judah? Now let's not let his shortcomings overshadow the fact that he did right in the sight of the Lord. Verse 46, And the remnant of the Sodomites which remained in the days of his father Asa, he took out of the land. Good thing right there, isn't it? The remnant of the Sodomites... There is no room for a remnant of sin. Not in the Christian, not in the church, and not in Judah either. In fact, we should not tolerate the tolerance of sin. When someone says, well, I'm I'm a tolerant person. I, I just live and let live. Okay, well, we're not asking you to go out and kill people who commit sin, but do you think it's okay? Do you have the tolerance for sin? You shouldn't. Jesus died for that sin. You know, I I hate what my flesh wants to do sometimes. I hate those thoughts that Satan bombards me with. But when those desires come and when those thoughts appear, when these hands are about to do what the flesh wants to do, I don't have a tolerance for them. I know they're wrong. I don't like them. I want them gone. I don't want a remnant of them left in my heart. And some of you have those same struggles. You know why I know that? Because you're flesh and bone just like I am. Jehoshaphat knew that leaving a remnant of the Sodomites would lead to a ruin by the Sodomites. In my lifetime, my 56 plus years, which is not very long, that is the new 30. But in my lifetime, well, maybe it's the new 50. My joints would tend to argue that it's the new 30. But in my lifetime in this country, I've seen how this sin began in the closet and then came out of the closet. And those who practiced it first tried to convince others it was the new normal and and just accept them for who they are. And then they wanted to have a special class created so they could obtain some of the same benefits of legally married people. And then came the coercion of the public to teach those ways to the children in the schools and to put it in the cartoons. Listen, just because your child has a cartoon on the TV does not mean it's okay. You ought to take a look at some of those before you ever allow them to watch them because the devil has snuck in his doctrine in those cartoons and in on the Disney Disney Channel. I remember the first time I ever heard a curse word on the Disney Channel. I was floored. This was years ago, long time ago. I thought, the Disney Channel. Well, that's what happened when Walt Disney died. All the, any decency that there was went out the window, and so the devil is just 
put his nose under the tent. Now he's about to turn it over if he hasn't already. But that's the way this sin of sodomy has bloomed, if you will, and it's an ugly bloom in this country. And does America think she can escape the judgment that God poured out on Sodom and Gomorrah? And, and, and when he does, remember, it started with a remnant. A remnant. How many weed seeds do you need in your garden to cause you a headache all summer long? About one, right? In fact, zero. They're kind of like feral hogs. For every seven that are born, nine survive. I don't know how the weeds do it. <laughs> Listen to Jude verse 7, which we've studied. Even as Sodom and Gomorrah and the cities about them in like manner, giving themselves over to fornication and going after strange flesh, are set forth for an example, suffering the vengeance of eternal fire. And you know the fire that consumes Sodom and Gomorrah for this sin burned out, but the eternal fire will not. Verse 47, there was then no king in Edom. A deputy was king. Now, doesn't that seem at first glance to be an odd place to place this one statement? There is no reference to it before or after in the immediate verses Why would God put that there? A deputy is one who is appointed as a stand-in, to stand in. I am a deputy at the sheriff's office where I work. I wear a patch on each shoulder, and it says Rockwall County Sheriff's Office. And I have a badge that says the same, and I carry the authority of the sheriff out in my community. So if I investigate an assault, I'm investigating it as a deputy of the Rockwall County Sheriff. It's the same as if he were out there. So the word deputy here in the Old Testament is usually translated as the word stand. So this is a person who is standing in as a king. A deputy was king. And Edom, just like any other country, was probably unstable without a king. Now, we know the Edomites were historically the enemy of God, the enemy of the children of Israel. And the last time we read about Edom before this was back in 1 Kings chapters 14 through 16 when God had raised up an adversary to King David, and he was an Edomite named Ahad of the king's seed. And David put garrisons in Edom back then, and Joab killed every male in Edom, but a remnant of them must have escaped before that. And now that remnant has produced a deputy as their leader, and we won't see anything else about Edom until 2 Kings chapter 3. So this is a heads up for us when we get there. Verse 48, Jehoshaphat made ships of Tarshish, to go to Ophir for gold. But they went not, for the ships were broken at Ezion Geber. There was a navy in Tarshish in Solomon's day. And so that navy still belonged to Judah. And Ophir was a place from which Hiram brought much gold to Solomon during the construction of the temple and, and all of the furnishings and so forth. 
Now, over in 2 Chronicles chapter 20, we are told why these ships right here are broken. There is a lot of detail in 2 Chronicles 20 about the reign of Jehoshaphat that we don't have in 1 Kings chapter 22. So I'm going to read from 2 Chronicles. Did I say first? 2 Chronicles, excuse me, if you're taking notes, just make that one or two, just like you did on your report card before you took it home to your dad. You can do it. 2 Chronicles chapter 20, verses 31 through 37. James did it a lot. He's still laughing over there. This tells us why the ships were broken. And Jehoshaphat reigned over Judah. He was 30 and 5 years old when he began to reign. And he reigned twenty and five years in Jerusalem, and his mother's name was Azubah, the daughter of Shilhi. And he walked in the way of Asa his father, and departed not from doing from it, doing that which was right in the sight of the Lord. Howbeit, the high places were not taken away, for as yet the people had not prepared their hearts unto the God of their fathers. Now the rest of the acts of Jehoshaphat, first and last, behold, they are written in the book of Jehu the son of Hanani, who is mentioned in the book of the kings of Israel. And after this did Jehoshaphat, king of Judah, join himself with Ahaziah, king of Israel. Now that's Ahab's son, who did very wickedly. And he joined himself with him to make ships go to Tarshish. And they made the ships in Ezion Geber. Then Eliezer, the son of Dodava of Marishah, prophesied against Jehoshaphat, saying, because thou hast joined thyself with Ahaziah. Remember that peace treaty that Jehoshaphat made with Israel? Because thou hast joined thyself with Ahaziah, the Lord hath broken thy works. What an interesting word to put there. Broken thy works. And the ships were broken that they were not able to go to Tarshish. God broke their works. This is a great place to learn how God uses types, or maybe you might say object lessons, in the Bible. In the last verse of the text I just read you, you heard the words, The Lord hath broken their works. Then you heard, And the ships were broken. So what's the conclusion you might come to? Those ships represented the works of men. They were built for Solomon back in the day. They were used to transport gold to Solomon's temple and to his palace. And that gold then and now was to remind the Israelites of the deity of their Lord. That is, that he was God. They look at gold, they should think of God, not think of, oh, look how rich I am, look what I can get with this. Look how popular I'm going to be when I flash all this gold. That's not what the gold was for. It was a type of God. And that gold, when it ceased to remind them of God, then they forsook the deity of God. And so God took those ships away. The ships that transported gold. They were done for. Verse 49, Then said Ahaziah the son of Ahab unto Jehoshaphat, Let my servants go with thy servants in the ships, but Jehoshaphat would not. Now, having read what the prophet Eliezer 
told Jehoshaphat in 2 Chronicles chapter 20, we understand why he refused, why Jehoshaphat refused to let Ahaziah's servants go with him right here. Here's a lesson. When the covenants we make with men cause us to stray from God's will, we should not be surprised when God breaks our ships. When the covenants we make with men cause us to stray from God's will, we should not be surprised when God breaks our ships. We enter into contracts to buy houses, cars, make business deals, investments, marriages, so forth. Be sure those contracts don't cause you to violate God's word. An example is in Matthew chapter 4 where the devil was testing Jesus. He was tempting him in the wilderness. Very familiar passage for you, I hope. And he tried to get Jesus to make a contract with him. Here was the, the proposed contract from Satan. Fall down and worship me. And I will give you the kingdoms of the world. Pretty simple, wasn't it? You worship me, I'll give you the kingdoms of the world. But that contract would have caused Jesus to violate God's commandment. So Jesus refused the contract by saying, Get thee hence, Satan, for it is written, Thou shalt worship the Lord thy God, and him only shalt thou serve. And that was the end of that. There was no contract. The devil already, if you will, had his signature on it. And he hands it across the table like the slick salesman he is. But he's handing it to his creator. Who does he think he is? He's going to fool God? If you know your Bible, you won't make foolish agreements or contracts either. Perhaps you've been invited to a a soccer game or a ladies breakfast or some other outing on Sunday morning. You'd love to go. But the condition of the contract is that you have to miss church. You've got to miss Bible study in order to enjoy the benefits of the event to which you've been invited. You could say, oh, it it won't hurt if I miss just one Sunday. I'll just catch it on Facebook. Or you can say, I will not forsake the assembling of myself together as the manner of some is. Thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path, and I will go hear it taught. I'll remember that this isn't about me. This is about the others in my church also whose presence comforts me and whom I comfort when I see them and those who miss me when I'm not here and whom I miss when I'm not there. tell our children that, don't we? We say, this is not all about you. And yet, sometimes, maybe even often, those words tread upon us too. And they should. Perhaps you're a shallow Christian, not fully committed to the Lord's work or his church. Maybe your ships have been broken and you're feeling kind of cast down about now. You don't know why you feel so cast down, maybe even depressed. I don't have all the answers for you, but I have some. If you'll begin by being faithful to the Lord by studying his word, praying without ceasing, gather with the saints, then your outlook has got to improve. 
And you'll begin to see things from a spiritual perspective once again. God first, then others, then you. Now you've heard of that acronym, joy, Jesus, others, you, in that order. Rather than seeing things from a selfish perspective, which is you first, and then nothing else is right after that, is it? Whether it's others, then God, or God, then others, it's you first. Then you don't have joy, you have yoj or some other word that's not in our dictionary. Verse 50, and Jehoshaphat slept with his fathers and was buried with his fathers in the city of David, his father. And Jehoram, his son, reigned in his stead. If you want to read, and I encourage you to, many of the other things Jehoshaphat did as a king, Second Chronicles chapter 17 through 21, that's three, almost four chapters, give you much more detail than what we read in 1 Kings. And I encourage you not only to read those chapters, but to see where they fit in in 1 Kings, because they do. And this is a good strategy for meaningful Bible study. If you've ever thought, you know, I, uh, I want my Bible study to be more meaningful. I want to take a deeper look at God's Word. Then do something like this. Or take the prophets about whom you read and find out when those prophets were born in light of the kings that were on the throne. In other words, when Ahab was a king, who were the prophets who were alive in those days and doing God's work? Make your, your Bible study. Take it to that next level. It requires some work, but that shouldn't be an issue for God's people. The Bible is the most important book we have. Verse 51. Hope we can close out the chapter this morning. Ahaziah, the son of Ahab, began to reign over Israel in Samaria, the seventeenth year of Jehoshaphat, king of Judah, and reigned two years over Israel. And he did evil in the sight of the Lord, and walked in the way of his father, and in the way of his mother, and in the way of Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, who made Israel to sin. For he served Baal and worshipped him, and provoked to anger the Lord God of Israel, according to all that his father had done. Just as I said about Ahab earlier, this introduction to Ahaziah is also the beginning of his epitaph, what you would read on his gravestone if you were to do so, just like many other kings we read about. And did you notice in verse 52 it said he walked in the way of his father and in the way of his mother. That's the only time we see that phrase applied to a king in the way of his mother. It's right here. How wicked Jezebel was. That's his mother, by the way. How wicked she was that her ways were so impressed upon Ahaziah that they would even be mentioned here. It might well be said that there was never a more wicked mother than Jezebel. So be careful if you ever call somebody a Jezebel. I don't suggest you do that. But even if you think of them as such, remember what you learned about Jezebel. Even the mother of Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, was not mentioned like this. And from this phrase, we also learn how wicked Ahab, Ahaziah's father, was. 
He should have never been interested in a Baal worshiper like Jezebel in the first place. He should have never said, I want that woman to be my wife. That should have repulsed him. But his heart wasn't right with God. It wasn't after God. He was a Baal worshiper. So he met another Baal worshiper, and boy, they hit it off however they hit it off. Not only should he not have been interested in one, but even if he were, he should have never married her. He should have never had children with her. He should have never let her ungodly influence so affect his son that his son would have an epitaph like this before we even read about the things he did. And he had a short stint on the throne, by the way. Young people, be careful who you take an interest in. No matter how handsome or how pretty that person is, no matter how nice, no matter how popular, no matter if your friends say, Oh, I like him or I like her. She's so cute. He's so handsome. If that person does not love Jesus, don't you go another step with them. Because not only are you damaging your own walk with God, but you'll also damage your children's walk with God, just like Ahab and Jezebel did. Don't think, well, I'll marry that godless woman and I'll get her converted to being a Christian and we'll just raise godly children. You'll do just like Ahab and Jezebel did. And with that thought, we'll close. Any questions or comments about the lesson? All right, let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for the truth we've been exposed to today. And Lord, our prayer is that you would help us to learn from it. To where, Lord, where it stung for us to look at that wound and see the purpose of it in your providence and to walk away, Lord God, knowing that it was for our good. And Father, where we have been encouraged by your word, we're so thankful you've put your arm around us and comforted us and that you will lead us in the way we should go if we'll simply take our directions from the word of God. And Lord, how sad it was to read about Ahab and Ahaziah and even in some respects, Jehoshaphat. But Lord, I pray we just learn from it today. And now as we go into the next hour, may our singing, our praying, our fellowship, the preaching of your word be pleasing, be a sweet savor to you. In Jesus' name, amen.